Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast, core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program, and this is Swami, your host. Jenny Beck Esme, my co-host, is recovering from a little influenza, so I'm on my own again this week. This week, we had a lot of great core content on tick-borne illnesses and sepsis, but I thought we could touch on a journal article that we discussed today on delayed intracranial hemorrhage on patients on warfarin or Plavix who have head trauma. The article reviewed was by Nishijima et al., Immediate and Delayed Traumatic Intracranial Hemorrhage in Patients with Head Trauma and Pre-Injury Warfarin or Clopidogrel Use. This was in the Annals of Emergency Medicine back in 2012. The article was reviewed by one of our PGY4 residents, Jeff De La Cruz, and he started by discussing a bit of the background on the topic. Now, we know that patients on anticoagulation and antiplatelet agents are at an increased risk of intracranial hemorrhage, even for minor head trauma. If you look at the major decision instruments in head trauma, mainly the New Orleans and Canadian protocols, patients with anticoagulants on board are excluded from the studies. I think standard practice, at least in the U.S., is that patients on anticoagulation with even minor head trauma need a non-con head CT in the ED when they present. It's a bit more debatable in patients on agents like aspirin or clopidogrel. The authors here performed a prospective observational study at six centers and collected a total of 1,064 patients. About 770 of those were on warfarin and about 300 on clopidogrel. Of this group, 1,000 had non-con head CTs on initial presentation and 70 of them had intracranial hemorrhage on that CT. That's about 7%. If we look at the two agents individually, it was 12% for the patients on clopidogrel that had ICH on initial head CT and 5.1% for the patients on warfarin. But what about the delayed intracranial hemorrhage? Out of the 930 patients without an intracranial hemorrhage on their initial non-con head CT, four had a delayed intracranial hemorrhage and all of these patients were in the warfarin group. So nobody who took clopidogrel had a delayed hemorrhage in this study. 4 out of 930 makes 0.4%, which I think we can all agree is exquisitely low. Now, this study wasn't perfect, and no study really is. Follow-up was near complete, but it was done by telephone follow-up, mainly as well as electronic record search. Telephone follow-up may not be bad here since, well, I think the patient outcome we're looking for is an intracranial hemorrhage, and I'm pretty sure patients would remember if they represented to a hospital and were found to have bleeding in their brain. In the same issue of Annals in 2012, there was another study that was published showing a considerably higher rate of delayed intracranial hemorrhage, around 6%, and this was a paper by Mendito and colleagues. Now, they enrolled just 97 patients, 87 of which did not have an immediate intracranial hemorrhage, and all of the patients without bleeds were put into an observation protocol and rescanned at around 24 hours. They had seven bleeds that were delayed, but only one required an intervention. This article argued that based on their numbers, all patients with head trauma on warfarin should be placed in observation for a repeat head CT at 24 hours looking for delayed intracranial hemorrhage. The problem with this approach is that based on the much larger numbers we see in the Nishijima study, you'd have to admit and rescan over 200 patients in order to find a single bleed. Add to that that even in the Nishijima paper, not all the patients who had delayed intracranial hemorrhage required a neurosurgical intervention or had a bad outcome. Two patients died, one in which care was withdrawn and one who was found dead at home. Finally, the delayed intracranial hemorrhages were exactly that. They were delayed. They didn't happen in the first 24 hours. They happened days out. So what does this all mean? Is delayed intracranial hemorrhage in head trauma patients on warfarin a real thing? 
Yes, but we don't know who it's going to happen in, when it's going to happen, or whether it's going to be clinically relevant. Based on the information we have, should we put all these patients in observation for 24 hours and repeat the head CT? I don't think the evidence backs up this approach. In fact, based on the available evidence, some experts estimate that we would have to spend about a million dollars to find one of these bleeds if we admit all patients for observation and then get that repeat non-con head CT. And remember that that's just finding all the bleeds. Most of them don't even need to have an intervention. So rubber hits the road, what do I actually do? I liberally scan patients with any head trauma if they're on anticoagulation or an antiplatelet agent with the possible exception of a baby aspirin on their initial presentation. If the initial non-con head CT is negative and the patient appears well, they have a normal neurologic examination, and they have someone at home who can kind of check in on them, I discharge them home with urgent follow-up with either their PCP or back in the ED. Typically, I tell the patient that they should be seen and evaluated by a physician in 24 to 36 hours. If the patient fails any of those initial things, I place them in observation for reevaluation, but that doesn't necessarily mean they need a repeat non-con head CT. They need a reevaluation by a doctor to determine whether something has changed or there's any other high-risk features needing another head CT. I often get asked by my residents if the INR in the warfarin patient comes into play. Now, literature here is a bit all over the place with both subtherapeutic patients and supertherapeutic ones getting delayed intracranial hemorrhage. If the warfarin level is high enough to need therapy beyond a held dose, I keep them in observation for the INR to correct and a repeat evaluation. Well, that's my approach, but I'd love to hear from you guys. What are you doing? Do you have a protocol or does each person in your hospital do this differently? I'll drop links to a number of articles on the topic in the show notes in case this is something that you think needs more discussion in your shop. Well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net, where we've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core content post up this Wednesday and a journal update up this Thursday. Visit us on Facebook and like us if you like the site. Visit our Google Plus page and follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks, and see you all next week.